is Cheryl Linker, and I am here with this Saturday's edition of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio. And my guest today is a very, very good friend, Debbie Abernathy, a fellow Cobb County Master Gardener. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Cheryl. You, I'm glad you're here. I've we've how many times have we rescheduled this show because oh, of snowstorms? Yes, that that did sort of. Um, preclude us getting together without slipping and sliding. <laughs> yeah. We've got a great topic today, um, and it's something that people all over the country are into. Um, hook, line, and sinker, as they say in the South, community gardening. So community gardening, tell us just what, what does that mean to you, and how important yeah. is, is that to you? Well, it's kind of interesting. People just have a conception of a community garden. It's a vegetable garden in an urban area. A lot of people just have that thought. Actually, according to the American Community Gardening Association, any piece of property that is gardened by a group of people is a community garden. So it could be a flower garden, it could be a pollinator garden, it could be a vegetable garden, it could be a garden on a rooftop in a apartment building in downtown Manhattan. So it's very open-ended. Um, I think the part that intrigues me and a lot of people is it's the community and the gardening. It really doesn't work if you're just a gardener and you don't want to participate with other people and have a little bit of responsibility, share your knowledge. Um, that's really not going to work. And if you're just a social person and you don't really want to garden and you really don't like to get your hands dirty ever, then that might not work. So it's sort of a combined effort. Um, there are tons of successful uh, community gardens here locally where we live in the Atlanta area and throughout the country. Um, do you mean to tell you about a few of them? Well, I just think it's interesting. Debbie has such a varied background. Um you know, I met her, and she's such an incredibly hard worker, so I think it's really key that her comments on, you know, not only wanting to be social, but wanting to work as well. Debbie, tell us kind of your watershed moment as far as becoming a gardener. Um, actually, it's kind of funny because um, my parents both grew up on farms. My dad's family actually did some um almost like a sharecropping, for lack of a better term. They went on to other people's property and farmed for them. He had quite a large family. My mom had a self-sustaining farm, her family did, where they raised mostly uh, crops, but they traded out for other things that they needed. So they grew up in that atmosphere, and they spent their entire life trying to get away from the farm. They just did not want to be a part of that. So it's kind of amusing to me that now... Her greatest love away from her work and friends is gardening, and my dad's greatest love is getting on the tractor and bush hogging. So it kind of came full circle. And in the midst of that, growing up, I did a lot of work with my mom in particular, both in the garden for flowers and that scratchy okra gardening and that stuff where oh I had to be God. in the middle of a corn yes, row. Yes, and, yes, yes. Um, so I, too, was not really into it in the beginning, but I think what got me was just my own personal yard and trying to figure out what to do with it, and then a real desire to help people with food issues, and um, a wonderful opportunity at our church with some open land that would work into a community garden. So it really started from there, and that got me into master gardening because that's when I realized I knew, like, nothing. <laughs> hey, well, Debbie, you've... This show is for master gardeners all over the United States. And, you know, it's just so interesting to me how people 
come back to gardening or, you know, some people stay with it, you know, their whole life. But there's always that moment that makes it special to you. And Debbie is such an accomplished gardener, and she also is such a hard worker. When I even scratch the surface of her community involvement, it's incredible. But the Crossroads Community um, Church that you have started this wonderful community garden at, I mean, she basically single-handed this and got it going, and it's really hugely successful now. Um, what was your What was your biggest challenge? Um, I think the biggest challenge at first was just deciding whether or not or getting people on board to decide whether they wanted to do this. I mean, it was on the back part of the property, just a small plot, really about a fifth of an acre at our church. And um, we just put a sign up on the bulletin board that said, can you imagine this? What's up on the hill? And we kind of started there and kind of checked out the environment and the interest in the church. Um, I think the the biggest obstacle we had was not not the church at all. They jumped in. We had a little skit and said, you know, hey, we're thinking about doing a community garden. What do you think about this? And we had our little meeting, and we we probably had eight people in our core group to start the garden. Um, and I'd like to just put a little sidebar in here. Important information about a community garden. If you don't have at least five people interested, then you, you might want to rethink the possibility of a community garden in that location. So that's just something we can come back to in a little bit. Oh, that's bit. interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So we got together and um, said, you know what? We don't have any money. We have this land. The church is amenable to letting us use it and help us however they can. What do you think? We do a little skit. We ask the congregation, you know, can you step up and maybe give $50 and sponsor a plot? If you do, you can garden it for two years free of charge, or you convert it over to one for the general community and let them garden. And we thought, okay, if we just get five, just five people that will step up. So we did our little skit, and between that Sunday and the next Sunday, in our relatively small church, we had 20 garden sponsors. Wow. Um, and that Are was, these people that wanted to have gardens or were just going to help you get started? Both. Okay, great. Almost evenly divided. Okay. So that was very cool. Um, and that was in February. No, that was in March of 2011. And we had that, those first 20 beds ready and prepared for people to garden by April. So, I mean, we were on fast track. We really had a great a great synergy of the people on the committees that said, okay, I'll do PR. I'll get the word out we have a garden. I'll do research on guidelines and applications. I'll find out about how we get it. Do we have enough water? Will it work? I'll look and see whether or not our fence is in good enough shape. Where are we going to get our dirt? I want to go into each one of these little areas in a little bit more detail because if if somebody's out there listening, they want to get started with this. But so your people that did the research and permitting and stuff, so I guess is that, would you consider that the first step or after the getting the funding and the signing up? Right, right. So what kind of obstacles should they look for in the research and the permitting? I think um, it, that will vary widely by community. There are a lot of communities that have um, pretty advanced lease opportunities through even public grants. That was probably very prevalent back um, in the 70s. But as the economy comes and goes, some of the access to public vacant lots 
comes and goes. If there's a need for more housing, the economy is in a boom, then people are less likely to generously donate or or allow usage of that. But that's created quite some interesting conversations in communities like uh, New York where they've... New Orleans, I know, after Katrina, because I saw so many community gardens go in on land that the house was just gone and nobody claimed it. But go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. No, in fact, that's a perfectly, I mean, that's a great segue into another thing that community gardens provide. Oftentimes that vacant land is sitting there doing a couple of not so good things, you know, attracting vandals, really making a place for people that you're not really excited about having to hang out um, and converts that into something of beauty. And generally speaking, vandalism in community gardens it's pretty small. Something about it. People might come in occasionally and take things, but generally throughout the country, that's certainly not a major problem. Um, so I guess, I'm sorry, my mind has wandered. You'll have to refocus. No, we were talking about permitting and getting things okay. going. and But that's, yes, yes. I would say that the biggest thing to think about is, is where you're, do you have somebody that will host you or you have access to property? Right. And the second thing would be, is that property, are you going to have to do a lot of improvement? You're going to have to cut trees. You're going to have to clear. Are you going to have to see if there's any kind of pollution on the property? Things that could add into your expense. Probably better to find sponsors and partners rather than say to yourself, I'm going to write a bunch of grants and they're going to give me money and we're going to put in this garden. That ain't going to happen. No, that's a lot of work, waiting, work, waiting. They're great supplements. Mm -hmm. But strong partnerships stay with you for the long haul. So I think that's a real plus. Um, Another thing to be careful about and people normally think of is insurance. If you have people coming under the property to garden, you're going to want to have liability insurance, and you don't want the people that are being generous to be at fault. Now, in our situation, an umbrella policy was added to the church policy, and it was very affordable. So is that fee covered by the people who pay for the plots and play to garden? So you just take... Your yes. little piece of that, and your, that's yes. your liability yeah. insurance. Sure. Okay, got that. And in um, community gardens, really, probably expense-wise, it's the upfront startup that really can, can right. kind of get you because you got to get the water in there. you got to get the whatever type of bed you have to use or whether you're having to come in and amend large areas. Once you get big upfront expenditures, then the lease money from the people each year, their annual fee, will cover a lot of those expenses for you. So in community gardens in general, are the, it's already divided out, subdivided out, and does the originator of the garden or the original group, do they amend the soil all at one time so the soil's all the same, or is each individual gardener responsible for doing their amendments and yeah. making things right in their little cook pot of yeah. a garden? That's that's a really good question, and it has one of those answers that it's everything. Okay. You've, you've got lots of, in, in the case of our community garden, we actually purchase in mass truck huge truckload, you know, like 18, 20 cubic yards of, of amended vegetable mix soil each year we get in, well, I shouldn't say each year, when we put in a lot of new beds, and then we, we go ahead and figure our 
cubic yards that we need to supplement and add on to any new beds or replace soil that's leached out under right, the, right, the right, bed. Right, 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 right. But there are lots of gardens that don't have raised beds. They have um, a nice ability to use furrowed rows. I'm sure that most of those gardens probably do bring in some, some things, but I know a lot of those will have a very good uh, composting system so that they can, you know, continually be adding things to the ground that they've been working for a while. Right. Um, so you have that. Then you have our first one. We did the um, Mel Bartholomew our first year as a Feed the Hungry Garden at Church before we had lease plots. We had three <laughs> four-by-four, six-inch deep beds. We were really going to town. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and we yeah. mixed our own soil according to Mel Bartholomew's Square Foot Gardening Book, which is a great book. So we had big tarps, and we were just mixing our amendments of what he said to be the best soil, and then we would just pour it into our garden beds. And um, I was so new to it, I was just convinced. If I didn't have that grid work on the garden bed, that things would not grow. I mean, I had in my mind, you know, it had to be exactly by the It's been growing. It's been growing a little bit, a little more than that. It has been. It has been. Hey, Debbie, we're going to take a quick break with the Master Gardener Hour and get back to community gardening and supplementing the soil and all kinds of different things. Great. I'm looking forward to it. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my friend Debbie Abernathy, and we are talking about community gardening. And I neglected to explain why I think Debbie is the perfect person to be on the show to discuss community gardening. We know she's community garden. We know she started them. But Debbie has stepped up and is currently the chair of the Cobb Community Gardens Association. And this is a... Not master gardening, not any particular affiliation with any particular church or civic organization. This is an umbrella organization that is trying to guide people through the process of starting community gardens. 
So before we get back to the nuts and bolts of it, let's. I want to talk about that organization a little bit. So just so that can people call you and get help from your organization and all that good kind of stuff? Okay. In fact, it's kind of interesting. We just started in October. Um, We had our first meeting, and we just meet quarterly. We like to think of ourselves as developing an association to be helpful to people that are either managers of community gardens or support community gardens or want to um, find other places and get additional community gardens within our county. So we did start just within our county thinking we need to focus on something that we can manage. Um, And, yes, I've already, even though we don't have a phone number, we'll have a website in June, but we don't have it yet. We just developed our logo. We have no PR paperwork in anybody's hands, but just from trying to gather our people and word of mouth, I've probably already received, you know, half a dozen or a dozen phone calls from people either wanting to find a community garden or if they have one, they're at a point in their community garden where change needs to occur. They've stalled out. People have lost interest. Maybe the garden coordinator left for whatever reason. So um, it's kind of kind of been a challenge because I'm, ju- I'm new to the organization. It's just starting. So we're just gathering resources from as many people that have got a long and wonderful history in Community Garden to help out. Well, maybe at some point uh, at the latter part of the show we can um – Give your email or contact for people because I'm sure you could use some more manpower in this this organization of people that are qualified um, and have a lot of experience in community gardening. So we were talking about, um, you know, getting the beds ready, amending the soil, and, you know, a lot of places where community gardens would be great, there's no water, and that's a huge expense. So how how do you go about doing that? You know that's uh, that can be a real deal breaker. But I've I've been to other community gardens that have come at it a pretty good ways. There's um, I visited Fernandina Beach recently, and this is my third little just stop by just to visit this little garden. And they use uh, giant rain barrels, and they have a tubing system where people can get the water to their beds in that fashion. And they don't have anything fancy. They don't have it coming off with, you know, roof chains or underwater reservoirs or, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. rain barrels. It's basic. It's basic. I mean, there are even people that are determined enough to have a community garden that they bring their own water in jugs. They wow. They that part of what they do. Wow. But when we started ours, we had one hose bib for all of the gardens, and we were just fortunate there was a separate landscape meter at church, and we could – we could use that metered water. Right, right, right. right. Um, lots of I times guess what Debbie's allu- alluding to is that in in our county, I don't know if it's anywhere else, but if you have a like a landscape meter, you do not have to pay the sewage, which we've all found out is the big cost on um, our water bill is the sewage bill. So exactly. it's just the straight up taking the water and paying for the water and not, paying for it to go back through the sewer system. Right. So that's something that you need right. to think about, and that's important. Another thing that we did on water, which was kind of interesting, is, and other people could easily do this, is we gathered the resources to get the basic water, the hose bibs, and the pipe laid, all of the materials, and then we worked in a partnership with our local community to get some labor to do it. So lots of times people can't 
you know, they don't have the money or the resources, even your public entities like your parks and rec don't, you know, it's not a really great economic time, but if they can, they'll help in other ways. So that's another way to approach it. Wow. Wow. So, you know, you've got, how do you decide how big the beds are going to (laughs) be? Well, Cheryl, it's interesting. Um, a person who really went about this in an organized fashion would have done a lot of research and visited a lot of community gardens and examined them um, and probably done it really well. And instead we said, oh, four-by-fours because people do those. And then we played with another size, which turned out to be three-by-ten in our garden. A oh, lot of people do four-by-eight. We did three-by-ten because we liked the ability to get to the middle of the bed from the side. That's, so, that's, I that, like that idea yeah, too. Yeah, so it's worked out well for us. We didn't know that it would turn out in our garden that uh, three by tens are more popular than four by fours. And we had to set up some rules because we have a finite number now of gardens and we always have a waiting list of you can have two four by fours or a four by four and a three by ten, but you can't have two three by tens because, you know, they're, they're, they're popular. They're popular. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and you're just like really diligent about your waiting list and keeping people. Yes. You have yeah. to be. Yes. And people are so wonderful. I mean, we had a last year she um, emailed me and I'm looking I get up most of those correspondence by email and I thought oh she sounds lovely you know I wish I had a garden bed I'll just let her know that I can put her on the wait list if that's okay with her and I read down to the bottom and I realize she's from Minnesota now our garden is in East Cobb County in Georgia so I thought oh my goodness she's She's confused. <laughs> She's found the wrong email or something. I email her back. Oh, she said, oh, no, we're moving to that area, and I want to just plan ahead so that I can be in a community garden. Oh, that's beautiful. That not a that's cool beautiful. People have been wonderful about and very patient about waiting to get a, a garden. So that's been very cool. But I hate there's not enough that they have to wait, you know, if there should well, be Well, you more. know, that's why you're uh, the organization, the, you know, the community garden association is so important because what if you didn't have anything and she's moving and she needs it you've got you've got the resources to refer her out so this is seems like an organization that's necessary for metropolitan areas count whether you do it by county by city by your small town by your big you know little medium town to really have a listing of the addresses and the size and the prices and who's the garden coordinator for all these things. And that's what you guys are working to produce. Yes, and it seems like that should be very achievable in a short period of time. But I I felt better in looking at some other areas. For example, when I was reading about New York City, they said something like they have 14,000 people involved in community gardens, and they have between 700 and 1,000. You know, that's kind of a big range. Like, do they have 700 or do they have 1,000? Is there a list? Who keeps the list? So even in our much smaller geographic area, we're having trouble finding where they are. So we've got probably 10 on our official list, four more that have filtered over through questions they've had that we've invited to join our council mm-hmm. so it's kind of you kind of just cast out the net and you just keep fishing because 
Absolutely. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, you could have a random subdivision that has land, you know, by their swing set or their swimming exactly. pool that somebody that they as a as a subdivision and a group of you know families and, and like minded individuals form a community garden. And you, how would you ever like? uncover those guys right exactly. okay so this is really getting more complicated the more we talk about it <laughs> yeah. and i'm beginning in to a good see, way though <laughs> i'm beginning to see you know how how it can work um are there any community gardens that like this is crazy but that are the cool or the in community gardens <laughs> that everybody wants to you know join or have you found that to well, be the case you know i think there are probably some that are uh, well thought of in, in other areas that, that have a huge waiting list. Uh, one that comes to mind that people probably, uh, you know, perk up when they hear about are um, the uh, Fenway Victory Gardens in the in the Boston area. Oh, that sure. That have been around, you know, forever. Sure, sure, sure. And they were... They've been around since World War Two. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think some of them started World War One, but and then they oh, continued really? on for the same reason of, you okay. know, producing food for the troops and for the citizens. So after World War Two ended and, you know, these, these little private public lands, people started absorbing them back into the regular use, for lack of a better term. This area said, you know what, we we kind of like this gardening together, and we're not going to do this, you know. So they've still got that seven acres with like 400 people gardening on it, and this has been going on for 70 years. Yeah. So they're, and I'm sure they're waiting list. I don't even want to think about that. You probably, you know, have just to will it to your You have to your will family. it to your children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in our area, we have... We're learning whether or not people have certain situations with their garden, like they have parameters of membership. Some of that creates problems for those who want to be a part of the garden. For example, like a church membership, like yes. you would have to be a member of this congregation right. in order to have a garden. Exactly. A, 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 right. a plot in exactly. your garden. Like at our church, that's not at all required, but there could be other churches that would require that. Like, we, you know, that's not a requirement for our garden. Yeah, it's because like if you had a lot of members that said, hey, yeah, this is my church, exactly. I want to beat these right. people out. Or I mean, it's just for seniors. The politics right. could come involved. Or it's, we have one local community garden that's wonderful. But they have made it their goal to have people within their own small neighborhood because one of their goals is a very diverse neighborhood is to bridge differences that people might have in the neighborhood through gardening and learning together. So they can't really afford to go to much, you know, a larger geographic area right. to accept Makes members. Um, and that's most most community gardens. My recommendation is don't go more than five miles away from your home or place of business. Because you have to go to your garden every day exactly. and look for weeds and exactly. water and look People for creatures and all that stuff. You can't just plant it and well, it will grow. that's part of the learning curve for gardeners or people that are new to gardening. Exactly. Is how much time that you have to be involved right there looking at your plants and looking at your soil and looking, you know, mm-hmm. look and harvesting. That's right. the fun part. Yes, yes. I mean, that's the fun part. I know uh, at our our garden and other gardens, they have a lot of donation gardens. So it, it kind of really hurts even more when people just let their vegetables stay on the vine and not harvest because that's that's food for others. Okay, so do, do most community gardens set up a rule for that? Mm, well, interesting. Our rule and most ones that I've seen their guidelines is you can't pick anybody else's uh, produce unless you have permission. 
So usually what a coordinator will do is if they see somebody that's just not being attentive and they have they'll, lots of they'll good, give them a ring. They give them a little ring or send okay. them a little email and, you know, kind of. And most of the time they just have been on vacation. They forgot. And, and they'll say, pick it and, and take it to the food pantry, please. You know, I am sorry I didn't call it out, you know. Right, right. Um, but that really kind of gets you. And last year was such a miserably difficult gardening year in our area for vegetables that yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people probably threw their hands up and went screaming from the garden. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, this is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here on America's Web Radio, the Master Gardener Hour, with my guest Debbie Abernathy. We're going to take a quick break and be back with community gardening. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my guest, Debbie Abernathy, and we are going to now talk about the community part of community gardens and as Debbie said earlier you can't just want to be a gardener and want to be kind of like a lone person in this effort the beauty of this is to do it as a group and the camaraderie the education so Debbie I'm gonna let you go into some details about that sure. um, I, I think one thing that you'll see when you're in a community garden is you will end up meeting people that you might have lived near for years and never would have crossed paths had it not been for the garden experience. You'll see people of various ages and backgrounds. Again, you would not have come across, you know, your pathway just wouldn't have, wouldn't have allowed you to meet. Um, and the community part is more than just a a promise to come work on community work days. It's a sharing of your knowledge. In the gardens that I've seen, we have all different experience level of gardeners. And some of the newbies each year, they're, they're just panicked. It, they're really fearful. Like if they make a mistake, that their garden will fail. And we're, we just kind of embrace them and say, we're not going to let your garden fail. You know, we're all in this together. We'll give you some hints. 
And frankly, all of us will have some part of our garden that will fail during the year. That's just the way it is in a vegetable garden, you know. Either the beast will get you or the weather will get you, but you persevere. So I think particularly for a young gardener, it's very helpful to have that sort of support system. And we have access in community gardens and know where to look for good information. A good community garden will know where to get the educational material that's from your own geographic area. So you're not planting things that grow in Minnesota in the deep south in the red clay in the heat of the summer. Absolutely. Uh, so that's another thing that community garden can do. But the a little friendly competition yes. in the biggest tomato or the yes. longest pole bean. Yes. Have you seen yes. any of that in your experience? We do, and I find myself walking around and coveting. We have one particular garden he, gardener. He grows the best tomatoes. Even when everybody else's tomatoes are not flourishing, something that Sam does has that perfect tomato. Any more like, hey, Well, he's very helpful. He'll name his varieties, but I kind of sneak around and try to see what he's, you know, what are you fertilizing those with? Or oh, yeah. There's <laughs> got to be some competition. Be some, this is, yeah, this is right. the United States of America for that matter. So, <laughs> um, and also, I... Organic or non-organic? What's the rules on that? <laughs> um, that differs by garden, mm-hmm. and that can be a difficult discussion. I was reading a blog the other day uh, of a fellow who, who writes um, from Minnesota, actually, about considerations when you join a community garden. He said, you know, here's some of the considerations. Do they have policies that are deal breakers for you? Do they have rules that you can't live with? Um, do they require more work days than you're willing to give? You know, things that you should consider before you jump in and uh, let me ask you yeah. a question work days does that mean work other than in your own personal yes. plot yes. do you call them plots what yeah. do you call them we're trying to use the word bed because bed. in our case the plots which we have a tendency to call them even though we try not to are our raised bed wood and it kind of makes me think of you know another kind of plot so okay <laughs> got it, got it. so your bed yeah so you do have community work days yes. other than in your own yes. individual garden and bed that's really for the common areas around the garden the pathways between the garden plots which we really try not you know we try to tell everybody our aisles are four feet so if you do your area within your garden and the two feet around it, hey, you know, pretty much all of it would be handled. So that works to a certain extent. But we have days where we, you know, load the soil into the beds, where we do maintaining around the area, where we do pruning of some – we have some uh, – a little vineyard started actually up in our area with little grape mm-hmm. trellises um, and the other areas cleaning up the compost area uh, general weeding so yes and we pretty much require that that you've got to you've got to at least come to a couple of these and we do so do you do like week. one a quarter or what, how often do it you do It turns that? out to be a little bit more in the spring, summer. Right, right. And a little bit in the fall and then in between not so much. So, But we publish a schedule so people will know. Okay. Because people are busy. We know that they can, if they just can come for an hour. That's right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay, so back to the organic, non-organic. You were right. saying the deal breaker. So you need to know. Yes. If you're considering joining a community garden, you need to know what the rules are, what the guidelines are. So if it's organic, obviously you got to live with that. Right. If you can use, um, you know, non-organics, then... Right. But non-organics and you're going to eat them, so you think about that. So, right. you know, obviously, you know, organic is the way right. to go. But I actually know and have interviewed someone that had a huge... Um, 
donated garden, mm-hmm. which was at, at the Chattahoochee Nature Center, yes. which is all natives. And I know they do use um, some non-organic fertilization because of the cost. Right. But they produce so much food and, you know, so they don't can't call their food organic. I mean, it's like good things, but right. they're not organic. Right. So, I mean, but you... Your advice is to know what your community right, exactly, and we we sort of took a maybe a little bit more mellow approach. We have our guidelines written as as organic as possible. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and we really work hard on the pesticide part of that. If people want to put some ten 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 of regular fertilizer in their plots, that's not going to be something that we get as distraught about. Well, as when ke- chemically, when you break all that down, it's kind of the same stuff that's going in the organic. I mean, chemicals, yes, or elements or elements, right? No matter how they're dispersed, when it comes, right? And I say that, and I know I'll probably get a backlash, but you know, when you do the chemistry of it, but the pesticides right. spraying all around that's a different story we to do me a lot of uh, that's another educational opportunity you get in a community garden you might not on your own without a lot of due diligence we do a lot of finding eggs on leaves we do a lot i have the kids going out there smushing you know squash yeah. bug nymphs and <laughs> which they kind of kind of enjoy that so we, we what you can do is give them a uh, duke's mayonnaise jar and let them just collect all the bugs and put them in there and like have a have a uh, a battle of the bugs inside of a mayonnaise jar. Yeah. That would be interesting, I, I think it? that they would really enjoy that. That's a good idea. I think you should put that on your guidelines. Um, I had written down something that you said triggered my mind about the venue. Oh, you mentioned that you had you were growing some grapes. Yes. So do you ever have... Do any of your people do, like, blueberries, raspberries, bigger, shrubby-type things, and fruit trees? Yes. We haven't done any fruit trees yet, but we have a – we're just putting in a trellis and working on some brambles. We're going to do some, some blackberries and some other – Would they be around the perimeter of yes. the community garden and not in their 3 by 10 bed? One a family – got two beds and decided to do blueberries and they have kept their blueberry bushes since and they were one of our first gardeners they're the only ones and a lot of community gardens have to be more careful about that because of the sun and making sure that something doesn't grow so tall but it shades their neighboring beds and and so that's interesting trouble for for corn growers it might be trouble for bean trellis growers we're really blessed in our garden because we get probably eight over eight hours in the summer of full sun. Um, but if, but with a little work of planting, you know, with the orientation proper so that everybody in a garden that has more challenges with the sun plants so that they minimize the shade on another gardener. You can grow almost anything in a small right, area. Right. Yeah. Well, that's something back to, like, we should have mentioned number one in the first minute of this show is that, if you want to have a community garden and you're going to grow vegetables, you need eight hours of sun. Yeah, yeah. So that being a given, don't go up to the lake underneath the big oak trees by the lake and, you know, yeah. say you want to have a community garden because you have to have eight hours of sun. I know. Because we can remember in our MG training when we 
be doing the horticulture line, how many questions we had about, I have this tomato plant that's like eight feet tall and it is so green and beautiful, but it doesn't have any tomatoes. Right, right, and right. And then you ask the sun question. Oh, well, it, 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 gets, it gets some sun. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. You know, Debbie, when you talked earlier about, um, you know, you can have a community garden for flowers mm-hmm. and, you know, for vegetables, um, are you aware of any, like, orchard-type community gardens in the country that are, you know, peach or apple or plum or any kind of, like, a tree orchard that people plant trees? I don't know specifically other than um, I know that one of our local community gardens is adding, they have enough space so that they are adding fruit trees. Wow, that would be really interesting. Very interesting. That's a new, I mean, that's a concept, especially, I mean, if you've got the land and the sun, to actually have a group of like-minded gardeners that were into growing fruit trees, that would be really an interesting thing. I I know that there's a group, too, and I'm I'm not going to say their name because I might... uh, I might miscall their name, but um, they're in the city of Atlanta, and they have an interesting organization. They actually get permission to go on property where there are fruit trees that have been left, and people aren't tending them anymore wow. to harvest and to kind of bring them I, back. I think I've heard, heard of that. Yeah, heard of that yeah. And I think I know the name, but, you know, sure as I say it, it'd right. be wrong. Right, right, <laughs> so right. I don't want to give them a wrong commercial. <laughs> well, you know, and, and the thing about, you know, the people that go out of town and they don't pick their tomatoes. Right, and yeah, exactly. And you're not allowed to pick somebody else's fruit and everything like that. I mean, the harvest of these fruit trees, like in metro areas and even out in the country, I mean, who who hasn't driven down a country road and seen, you know, an apple tree or a peach tree that's just on the side of the road and it's obviously not in a commercial venture or even a private venture it's just a leftover tree from somewhere and you're just like dying to pick it and you know that you're going to get like somebody's going to come out and (laughs) stick their dog on you so i mean you hate to waste that that food you know so that that's hard um your biggest you know, your biggest challenge as a coordinator of your own personal garden that you would give to another coordinator for a community garden, what would you say that would be? Um, right now, the lead coordinator in our garden is the person that we've sort of, and we still co-coordinate, but we've changed leadership as I took over the, the um, association. And um, I think that is such an important thing that people need to remember as their garden matures that you need to have leadership maturing too. And you need different styles of leaders. I think a startup garden requires a different leader than a mature garden. And there's probably a stage in between when you're in fast forward growth that you're just managing the growth, not trying to find ways to engage them more in the community garden itself. So I think the challenge for everybody is, to me, more so the coordinator and management of the garden than it is finding the place for the garden. I know that sounds odd. No, I totally yeah, understand. Because the long haul it's is like just... The big, it's like the big picture thinker and then the, the detail person that keeps something going and being managed on a exactly. day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different skill sets needed in that. Um, 
We're going to take a quick break and from community gardening, and I'm getting hungry for every time I talk about vegetables, I get hungry. We'll be right back with the Master Gardener Hour. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with my guest, Debbie Abernathy, and we are talking about community gardens today on America's Web Radio Master Gardener Hour. Um, You know, during the break, we were talking about you do a lot of work in a community garden. It gets, you know, organized. Somebody comes up with the big picture. Somebody gets it started. People, you know, grow involved and start growing and go through the educational curve then after it matures then there's some fun things that go on in community gardens so let's kind of talk about the social aspect the as debbie said the spiritual aspect and how these people grow together and what they do to have fun and um count their blessings so to speak um yeah, I think it, when you get to the point where you know each other a little bit and you have some commonality, you can start doing fun things, anything from, you know, uh, sharing your produce, sharing your recipes, having covered dish. People have had concerts in their park. Uh, we had a, a, a little group come. A lot of times we just open up the community because they're kind of curious as to what's going on in that little plot of land up there. Um there's community gardens throughout the country that have even more interesting things. I know in the Latino community, you can kind of pick out their gardens because they have little houses in them. I think they're called casitas. Um, and that is a part of their social uh, interaction in the garden. And their gardens uh, attract a lot of children. So... Um, one of the things that we've seen in the garden that we're most affiliated with is we have a lot of children that can just come in and visit the garden. And to me, that's like a social activity every single day. Uh, we have a, a school on the premises, a, a, a Spanish academy where they teach Spanish to preschoolers and a music academy of the same age group. So it's so much fun to see these little ones come up there with their parents. And uh, almost mystical thing happens. Parents actually turn off their cell phone and put them away. And they actually walk through the garden with their children and they point out things. And if we're up there working, they'll ask questions. And usually I ask permission if I can give them some cherry tomatoes. But you see children in a garden, maybe the only time they see vegetables that are not in a um, in a little bucket in the grocery store. I mean, no concept of where they stand. Yeah, to see, a, to to see a piece they, you know? of okra growing on yeah. an okra plant yeah. or, you know, to see, you know, a squash blossom. I mean, that's so beautiful to me. And I think that's, you know, the 
the aspect of bringing children in the garden is is huge. So that's really interesting that um, uh, I don't say it's interesting. That's not a good word. But that, to me, would be an incredible goal of a community garden is to keep our kids, you know, outside in the dirt, knowing what plants look like. And it's got to make them, like, be more interested in a healthy diet, don't you think, Debbie? Yeah. A lot of, uh, in fact, one of our gardens in our community has partnered with an organization to develop curriculum and work with parents on healthy nutrition because of the, you know, the childhood obesity epidemic that we have throughout the country. So uh, from the warm and fuzzy feeling of seeing a child see that fruit or vegetable to the reality that that can make a difference in the way they eat. We also have community gardens that are in areas that are um, really food deserts. And What's a food desert? A food desert is an area where there's not access to nutritious, fresh, affordable food. It's particularly a problem for people that have a limited transportation, maybe no access to an automobile. So they have to walk wherever they go to get their groceries. And when you don't have a full-line grocery store available, often it's the... It's the store. Right. Convenience store. Convenience okay. store. You know, and who wants to eat roller food and Twinkies? You know, that's not mm-hmm. a nutritionally balanced mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. Also, even when you have access to a grocery store, you know, the best place to shop is the perimeter of the grocery store where the fresh items are. Also, the most expensive place usually to shop. So Correct. It's a very difficult when you have to make a choice on a... Um, a budget that's very tight, fresh produce or mac and cheese that will keep a long time, you know. So if you have access to a community garden environment that you can participate in, then you can have at least a little fresh produce. Also, a lot of these gardens do donate to local food pantries. Right. So we keep that stream going in, in the season. And a lot of gardens, um, they donate a lot. I mean, it's it's thousands of pounds a year that are given to local food pantries. Yeah, I know our, um, I've had um, Libby Lintel, who was the um, former head of the Chattahoochee Nature Community Center Garden, Community yeah. Garden. And interestingly, to, interestingly enough, she um, she had a lot of um, Hispanic um, people that the food was donated to. And, oh, my goodness, they made incredible recommendations to her on different spices and different vegetables that she was not planning on growing in the metro area. And it was just incredible. And they were, you know, they grew great, and they were just, like, huge hits when the food was donated. I mean, people would, like, line up to get, you know, a certain herb or a certain type of vegetable that she would grow. Have you had any experience with something like that? Yes. As a matter of fact, in a couple of food pantries we donate to, we've sort of rearranged the food that we do in our 100% donation beds based on the things that people want the most and that have the most comfort in cooking. So okay. That, so that they really use that rather than having it go to the food pantry. So what, they, what, give me some examples of those. Um, well, pretty basic foods like Lots of beans. We do lots of beans, lots of tomatoes, potatoes, um, okra, not quite as much. Cucumbers, yes. Squash, yes, because those are all vegetables. They're basics. There are a million recipes exactly. for all of the above. Exactly. But and it's like a lot of different cultural yeah. type recipes for, across for different. Program. Okay. But some things won't work 
we can't get it there fast enough to be useful. Like leafy vegetables, it's really hard for us to get to food pantries in time for them to still be, you know, good. Um, same thing on some peppers. It, you know, they go because you got to make the trips to the food pantry at the peak of the season. We go to different places almost every other day. Basically. Yeah, that's that they deliver. Yeah. I think every they harvest and deliver every other day. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's fun, but it can get a little uh, it can get a little overwhelming. Right, right, you hope right. It does though. That means you've had a good harvest. Um, and this is something we didn't talk about earlier, and I just want to throw it in as a side. Do most people plant from seeds or seedlings? Both. Okay, both. And we do a lot of classes, um, and all the community gardens that I know of in our area have access to really good classes on seed starting. And we've all tried it and had various levels of success. Some people just don't have a good enough place or have grow lights that they want to deal with or, you know. Okay. Um, so we have a little bit of both. I mean, I'm a seedling person. I just, like, kind of, like, never got that part of gardening. So <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I can make it grow once it's here, but yeah. I can't make it you know, give birth from the little thing. Yeah, I didn't have much luck with that either, but. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm alone. I'm not alone. But um, I just, I just really think this is something that um, listeners all over, you know, if you're social, you like to work and you like to eat good food. I mean, I just, it's like a win, win, win situation doing a community gardening. Yes. Don't you agree? I agree. And if I could just say something about the, um, didn't really say too much about the spiritual aspect. I think of that more as the the feeling that that people get when they're in the garden. And when they're there a little while and they get to know each other, they might feel comfortable sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a person tell me that she feels closer to God in a, in a vegetable garden when she's tending her her bed than she does any other time. I've had a young mother say, this is the only place I go most days that I don't have any stress. I mean, she's driving people around. She's working. She says, I just come here. I water things. I look at them. Oh, yeah. Watering's got to be the most therapeutic task in a garden. I really look forward to it. It's peaceful and it's cool on a hot afternoon. So do you guys restrict when you water like... Uh, do you do the, you know, 4 a.m. watering type we thing? We request that you do it because it's more efficient. It's better on the plants. Absolutely. First thing in the morning, last thing at night. We don't have any hard rule. And in our area, there isn't even under the water rules. There's That's one of the few areas there's no prohibition. Our food production gardens, you can water any time. But we do handheld watering at the base of the plant, not free-for-all watering all over where you have a lot of evaporation and potential fungal introduction by, you know, just <laughs> flailing that water everywhere. So mm-hmm. we, we teach mm-hmm. people to hold a water wand at the base of each plant. So it takes a little longer, but it's a lot more thorough and soaks the bed a lot better. So if you have all your people show up at 505 after work, <laughs> what do you do for getting, what happens then? Well, we haven't had that happen, but we do have four hose bibs to cover our plots. Up. We're up to like 68 now, but frankly, with four I've seen maybe twice that there's been a okay. line. So okay. it, it mysteriously works out. you got the morning gardeners, the evening gardeners, and the middle-of-the-day gardeners. <laughs> yeah. So what makes you happy about, you know, community gardens is just kind of a closing thought. Um, I just have to say that when I pull up to the garden and I look and I see, even, even in the winter when there's not much of anything growing or small things, it's just a, a beautiful 
arrangement, and it holds that potential year-round of producing food for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just kind of imagine, you know, the people working in it, when, even when they're not there. But the days that I pull up and we have a work day and everybody's bustling around and they're chatting and catching up and they haven't seen each other in a while and sharing ideas and what kind of plant would be best, you just feel that energy. And then when they quietly begin to work in different areas and you hear the small conversations, people saying, now, how is your, is your husband doing better? Mm-hmm. Or... I know your mom was ill. How is she? Oh, that's so special. What are the boys doing now? So it's those, it's all that level from high excitement to just calm sharing between people that care about each other. You know, as you say that, I just visualize like a, like a patchwork, a quilt or just, because everybody has their own little flair and their own little style of the way they do their bed. And so when you have like an air, if you took an aerial view of this with the people in it, you would have all kinds of people and all kinds of things growing there. Yes. So I yes. just, that's my vis- visualization when I hear you say that. Debbie, um, how do we, if anybody wants to learn more about the association that you're the chair of, yes. how could they find out more about it? Okay. Uh, you can contact me probably the best way is by email, and that would be at Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E, at esmithair.com. So that's E-S-M-I-T-H-A-I-R.com. Um, I get that at work, home, everywhere. So that email is the single best way. And you can just say, you know, I have a question about a community garden. It could be about joining our council. It could be about learning more about that. Um, you know, anything really. And frankly, and if you're in Cobb County and you're listening to this and you don't have any questions and you have the perfect community garden, just call and register your garden yes. with this organization so that we can refer to you because um, who knows, you may someday you know need some new gardeners. Absolutely. So, but it's great to keep registered you know, all the community gardens, and that's the beauty of the organization that Debbie is involved with. So I just think that that is so important. Um, we've had a great show today, Debbie. I thank you for being here with us. You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. It's good. You great, great to know what you have to offer. Um, this is Cheryl Linker, and I'm going to say goodbye for this Saturday's edition of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio, and we will be back next week. Be safe. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants.